All right, as we get started, let's open up in prayer and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I just thank you for this evening, Lord. And uh, Lord, I know we've got these technical difficulties going, but Lord, uh, you have prepared this, this study for us tonight. And so, Lord, we just look forward to, to hearing more about heaven and, and uh, just what it's like, Lord. We want to know more about where we're going, our eternal home. So, Lord, just bless our time with this study. Bless our evening tonight and our time together. Lord, we just pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, tonight we are continuing or beginning really our study. Last week was the introduction and tonight we're kind of getting into the meat of it, of hereafter. And tonight we're looking, first of all, at present heaven, present heaven. And we're asking that question, what and where? What is the present he heaven and where is the present heaven? So just those two simple questions we're going to cover tonight. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of misconceptions, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> there's a lot of misconceptions about what heaven is, uh, where it is, and all of these types of things. Uh, we have this idea, or a lot of times, of people, especially in society, and I think Christians too sometimes, have this kind of an idea, because this is what we see in art and on cartoons. We have this idea of, of after we die, we go up and we float in the clouds and we play harps and all of those types of things. And, and so we have this kind of idea of, you know, that's heaven. It's, it's up there in the clouds somewhere and it's just kind of floating around and playing music and all of these types of things. Uh, you know, I think that really... Uh, a lot of times Christians kind of develop that same kind of idea because Christians, um, a lot of times Christians kind of dread death. Uh, I really, yeah, I want to go to heaven someday, but not right now, right? Uh, we kind of have this idea because, man, that may seem kind of boring. I don't want to just float around on the clouds and kind of do that. Uh, so we really have a misconception of heaven. If we didn't, we would be more excited about getting there than we are. And so we want to develop a stronger idea of what heaven is really like. And so we're going to do that in this study tonight. We're getting started on that present heaven. What is the present heaven? Uh, what is it? Where is it? What is it? So uh, just as a, the message in a sentence, the study in a sentence tonight, heaven is a place above where we want to be. Heaven is a place above where we want to be. And so we're asking those two questions. First of all, what is heaven and where is heaven? We'll kind of get into what is it like in heaven the next time we come together. But we want to answer these two simple questions first and foremost. So we'll be going various places in the scriptures. So you might want to open up to Isaiah chapter six to kind of start off Isaiah chapter six. And maybe if you want to throw a finger in Revelation 4, those are going to be two of our major texts, but then we're going to see a lot of other texts come in. And uh, I've got most of the text in my notes so that we can kind of go through it pretty, pretty quickly so that we're not here uh, too long tonight. So Isaiah 6 and then Revelation 4. So the first question we have then is what is heaven? What is heaven? heaven what is it now when we talk about what is heaven now this is going to seem kind of elementary to you i'm sure but uh, first of all heaven is a place 
Heaven is a place. That's your first blank there. It is a place. That is, it's a place in time and space. It's a place in time and space. It's not a state of being or a state of consciousness. Now, this is, is different from other ideas of heaven. This is, the Christian idea of heaven is, is very different from other ideas, other religious ideas about heaven. For instance, the ancient Greeks, talking about people like Plato and Aristotle, uh, they had an idea that heaven, or our existence after this life, we might say, they didn't kind of focus in on heaven so much, but life after death, uh, heaven for them was more about a state of being. It was about a state of being. And so for the ancient philosophers, the Greek philosophers, they understood that, that this world just was messed up, right? The material world is messed up. We, we suffer, we grow old, there's death, there's all of these tragedies that ha happen in life. There's uh, trials and tribulations that happen everywhere. And so understanding this about human life, they, they realized or they, became to, they came to understand and philosophize that the material world is corrupt, right? We know this from Scripture that our material world that we live in now is corrupt. But they, as Greek philosophers with no biblical background, they came to that understanding that, hey, this material world is corrupt. Uh, they also had an idea of the, the human being kind of, you know, being two, uh, two types here, being a flesh you know, existing in the flesh, being a material being. But they also recognized that human beings had a spirit as well. And so they had this idea, material is corrupt, but the spirit is pure. And so for them, heaven was escaping the material and, and entering into the spirit, the fully spiritual life, just becoming a spirit. And so there you could see that idea of just kind of floating around in the clouds, right? Our spirit just leaves the body and we no longer suffer. We no longer have death. I have to worry about death or any of that sort of thing. And so it was about a state of being. Right now we're in a state of being, of our spirit being kind of encapsulated in material. But for them, heaven would be to escape the material and just become completely a spiritual being. So that's the Greek philosophers. Uh, similar to that are, are Buddhists and Hindus. And this is kind of mixed because you have different lines of, of, of what heaven looks like for them. But for Buddhists and Hindus, typically they have this idea of that perfect heaven. They have different levels of heaven. But to get to that highest level uh, of, of being or highest level of heaven after death would be to uh, again, escape the material and enter a state of consciousness called nirvana. So they have, uh, they believe in pre-incarnation. And so when you die in their mind, when you die, you come back. And you die and you come back. And you die and you come back. And, and while you're living life over and over and over again, you're learning things and you're growing and you're doing all of these types of things. Uh, and eventually you, you find this state of nirvana and that is uh, a place where there's no more desire and no more suffering. 
No desire, no suffering. It's just nirvana, right? You, you just go out and, and you kind of, you cease to exist as a physical being. You're no longer reincarnated over and over again, but you escape all of that big cycle and you enter into the state of nirvana, the state of consciousness called nirvana, where uh, there really is, there's no suffering, there's no pain, none of that, no desires. Uh, that, that kind of trap you and trip you up. And so there's this state, for them, heaven is a state of consciousness. Well, well some Christians, we might say, have a similar idea of, of heaven, uh, and they have this idea of completely being, especially the present heaven, being just completely a spiritual place. And, and so their idea of heaven is it's all, it's all spiritual, and so it's kind of like you, you might exist in a somewhat dreamlike state and just kind of floating around, drifting around. And so Christians even have some of these same kind of tendencies in, in their theology uh, as they begin to think about what is heaven like right now. Because we know when we go to heaven right now, we're not in the body, right? We're, we're, we're in the spirit. And so we have this idea, or a lot of Christians may come up with this idea of heaven being just kind of this spiritual existence. Right, kind of just a dreamlike state out there somewhere. But heaven is actually a place. It's a place in time and space, right? It's a place where God created, that God created. Before God created, there was nothing. There was just God. But Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God created heaven. And so heaven is a place in time and space. It's not out there in eternity somewhere. It's in time and it's in space somewhere. Right? And so it is a place. Now, we see this in Scripture and other places. We see evidence of Scripture of this or evidence of this in Scripture. So as we think about heaven being a place, we also recognize that heaven is the home to the manifest presence of God. Heaven is the home to is home to the manifest presence of God. That's your next blank there. Now, what do I mean by manifest presence of God? We know that God is spirit and God is everywhere right there's no there's no place that can encapsulate god uh, when god dwelled in the the temple it wasn't god who dwelt there because god is everywhere he is omnipresent he is everywhere at once but his manifest glory his manifest presence dwelled there between the two cherubim on the the ark of the covenant in the temple well Heaven is the perfect example of that or the perfect. That was kind of the image of what's actually taking place in heaven. Heaven is the home to the manifest presence of God. We see this in Scripture. Isaiah chapter six, for instance, it gives us one of our first glimpses into heaven. Isaiah six, one through seven. Isaiah here is caught up into a vision of heaven. Notice what it says there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. 
Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold holds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is seeing a vision of the manifest glory, the manifest presence of God. God is invisible. God is invisible. He can't be seen by the human eye, yet Isaiah is seeing something. What is he seeing? He is seeing the manifest presence of God. God is revealing himself in an image on that throne. So uh, there's the manifest presence of God. We see this again in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a a wonderful vision of, of heaven. And John here gives us a a little bit more detail about the throne room of God. Revelation 4, starting in verse 1, says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their, he- on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so we see a very similar vision there, don't we? He gives a little bit more detail about what this image looks like. It's, it's almost indescribable. Uh, he gives these, these metaphors that what it looks like. Uh, the, the one who was seated on the throne, and there was the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and there, there was a rainbow around him, right? So this is not a, a human image there, but this is the manifest glory or the manifest presence of God sitting on the throne in heaven. 
And so that is the, the home of the manifest presence of God. God has chosen to, to reveal himself uh, most there in heaven, in the th that throne room in heaven. And so heaven is a place and it's the home to the manifest presence of God. But it's also the home to the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's home to the resurrected Jesus Christ. I mean, we could we could think about it being the throne room of God and still have this idea that heaven is a, just a completely spiritual place. Right. But no, it is the home to the resurrected Jesus Christ. John 14, one through three. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you uh, to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to heaven. And we know in, in Acts uh, that Jesus rose from the earth and he ascended into heaven. And so Jesus resides in heaven. Again, in Revelation chapter 5, turn over there a page. Revelation 5, starting in verse 1, Then I saw in the right, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look in it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bows full of incense uh, which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And so here we see, now he has this, this, uh, he's talking in, in imagery, right? He, he's talking in metaphor. He sees a lamb as, as if he were slain. But who is he seeing? He's seeing Jesus. He's seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ there in the throne room of God, sitting beside God the Father. And he is the one who is worthy to take the scroll. So Jesus being in human form, right? He's not in, he didn't leave his human body here. 
Uh, he was resurrected. He was the firstborn of the resurrection. And so he was raised from the dead and he was raised into heaven. And now he lives in heaven. That's his home. That's where he sits on his throne and rules and reigns over his kingdom today. And so when we think about heaven, heaven, it, it can't be purely a spiritual place. Right. There has to be some kind of physical attributes to it. It has to exist in time and space somewhere uh, because at least one person, one man lives there. Well, actually more than that, because we have old, uh, uh, Enoch back in the Old Testament, right, who walked with God and then he was no more because God took him up. And Elijah, the same way, he walked with God and God came down and swept him up in bodily form. He didn't die and he went straight to heaven. So there's three men who live in heaven in bodily form. And so there has to be physical attributes to heaven. Now, it is a spiritual place. It is a spiritual place. God is spirit and he resides there. Uh, angels are spiritual beings, but note, note what I say, they are beings. Right? They, they are spiritual beings, but they are beings. They are created beings. And we see in Scripture that they have some kind of physical attributes, as we just read. Uh, he, he gives descriptions of them and what they look like, at least in his vision. So they have some physical kind of attributes that are uh, given to them. So heaven is a place in time and space. It's home uh, to the manifest presence of God. It's home to the resurrected Jesus and it's home to the saints and angels. It's home to the saints and the angels. And we've seen that in some of the passages that we have read there. There were the, 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 the living creatures and the, the seraphim and the cherubim who are there around the throne. Those who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right. These are angelic beings. Uh, we also see there the 24 elders who who are representing people. Right. That's the these are people who are there. And if you go on down, Revelation four, nine. And whenever the living creatures gave glory to and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who are seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their, their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your, your will they exist and were Created and other places there in, in Revelation, we see him talking about uh, multitudes of people who are from earth, who are the saints, who are there dwelling in heaven, and they are there in heaven. They're worshiping God. So it is a place. It is home to uh, angels and the saints. And so heaven is a real place in time and space. Uh, it's not just a spiritual existence. A state of being, a state of consciousness. It's not any of those things. It is a, an actual place in time and space. Uh, take time now for questions. Any questions or, or comments at this point? What's the difference between paradise and heaven? Paradise and heaven? I believe that there's really no difference. Uh, scripture talks about uh, going into, you know, going to paradise. Paul talks about going into, we're going to look at that passage here in a minute, but Paul goes, talks about going to the third heaven and entering into paradise. I believe he uses that word, that term there. But um, 
Uh, it's just another term for heaven because it is a paradise. And so I think it's just another term for heaven. Now, other get into Roman Catholic theology and, and some of the other religions, they would say that paradise is another place. Uh, perhaps that it's not actual heaven. Uh, it's a you know next level before you get to heaven kind of thing. But I think scripture, what scripture shows us that it's just a, another description of heaven, another name, a synonym, if you will, for heaven. Uh, Christians, those who, uh, and I would say Old Testament, New Testament, saints, those who, who trusted in the Messiah, whether the Messiah to come, Old Testament, or the Messiah who has come in Christ, New Testament. So Old Testament, New Testament, saints, people who trusted in the Lord. That would be all, everybody that is in heaven then, right? Yes. Yeah. People today... Uh, Representing today, people are the same. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I would, I, I would consider us New Testament saints uh, because we're looking back on the Christ who came and died and was raised again. So, yeah, when I say New Testament saints, I, I'm including us in, in that number. Uh, and when we died, of course, we'll, we'll get into some of this, uh, our next lesson, uh, more in more detail about who's in heaven. Uh, but yes, it would be Old Testament saint, <coughs> Moses, uh, Elijah, Elisha, uh, all those who, who trusted in the Messiah who was to come. And now the New Testament saints from, you know, the apostles on who even to us today, when we die, we go to heaven. We're, we're counted in that, that multitude that Revelation talks about being in heaven, giving praises to God. Yes. And uh, now Moses did die, but Elijah didn't die, right? Correct. They were both there, though, on the mount. Right, yeah, yeah. When they, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Moses and Elijah came to minister to Jesus, to talk to him about what was coming up, his, his crucifixion and resurrection. They were both there. And that has brought up some questions. Some people, some theologians have theorized that perhaps Moses didn't really die, that he was taken up, uh, because we do know that Moses, he went up on a mountain by himself and the Lord buried him. Uh, so he wasn't buried like most men. And some theologians say, well, he really didn't die. God just took him up. And so, and, and they would use the transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration as proof of that. I don't necessarily think that's right because scripture says that he died. <laughs> Yeah, Scripture says he died, so I'm going to take Scripture as being truthful. Uh -huh. I was thinking is whether you had your resurrected body or not, you still have life, and you absolutely serve the Lord's purposes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we see uh, in Scripture that there's still even the the spirit. Apparently, I mean, we don't know this. We, we can just, we see allusions of it in scripture, but 
just like Moses. You know, he had some form. No, he did not have his resurrected body uh, because we haven't made it there yet. But but he had some kind of form. So even as a, a spirit uh, in our spiritual being, it seems like we're going to take some kind of form. It's not going to be like flesh and blood like this, but it seems like we'll be able to kind of see people and know people even and when we get to heaven in the spiritual as a spiritual being mm-hmm absolutely absolutely yeah yeah so some parts of heaven evidently have not been revealed to even the saints that are there because they still have to experience the white throne judgment yeah and that's 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 the difference between the present heaven and the eternal heaven, which we'll kind of, we'll see those when we get to eternal heaven. But yeah, uh, right now the present heaven is different from our, from the eternal heaven. So even now when we die, the heaven that we will experience is not the heaven that we will live in for all of eternity. Uh, Revelation says there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. So the old heaven, the old, old earth will pass away. So what's, what exists now will be transformed and changed in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Good questions. All right, anything else? We better move on. All right, so that's the what. What is heaven? Heaven is a place. A place in time and space. Now, where is heaven? Where is heaven? Again, this may sound kind of elementary. Heaven is up. <laughs> Heaven is up, right? It's up there somewhere. Uh, just consider what Scripture says and a number of Scriptures. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, And the Lord came down. This is at the Tower of Babel, right? So after Noah... Uh, they began to reproduce, but the people kind of stayed together. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were supposed to disperse and go out and fill the earth. But they said, nope, we're not going to obey God. We're going to stay all together. We're going to group up here and, and, and babble. And we're going to build this tower to heaven. And we're going to charge heaven and take over heaven. And we're going to show God. Now, that was their idea. And, and notice what it says. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So God comes down from heaven to earth to see what they're up to. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, uh, this is Jesus' ascension. So when they, when they had come, when the disciples and Jesus had come, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, of Israel? He said to them, it is not possible for you to know the time or seasons for that the uh, season that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of that was extra because we just need to hear that all the time. And here's the important part. Here's the important verse. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted where? Up. up. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so he went up into heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12, 
verse 2, 4, that passage we were talking about a while ago. Uh, this is Paul. I know a man, and that man is Paul. He, he's talking about himself here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught where? Up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And so he was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. So that's why I would say that paradise and heaven are, are synonyms for the same place. It's the same place. But Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Now, let's think about what's that third heaven? Well, we got this heaven here right above our, our heads, right? Uh, that's where the birds fly and, and all of that stuff happens. We, we fly every now and again in a plane. So that's the first heaven. The second heaven would be, let's move on up. Oh, we see the moon up there and the stars and all of that. That's the second heaven. But then the third heaven is beyond all of that. And that's where heaven is. It's up there. It's the third heaven up. So we've got our atmosphere here. We've got space. And then somewhere out there is, is heaven, the third heaven. So uh, that's what Scripture says. Now let's think about this a little bit. And let me just throw you some interesting facts and just kind of think about the, the gravity of heaven being up. Uh, when we think about heaven, heaven is far away. It's far away. It's, it's so far away, it's beyond our sight. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about the sun. We can kind of see the sun, right? We can see it out there. Uh, don't need to look at it, but we know it's there. We, we can see it. Uh, the sun is 93 miles 93 million miles from the earth. All right. So if we take a commercial jet to the sun at a speed of 550 miles per hour, we would get there in 19 years. All right. And we still haven't made it to heaven. Uh, the nearest major galaxy. So we're in the Milky Way galaxy, and I have a lot of cool pictures in my PowerPoint for all of this. I mean, they, they were good pictures from the Hubble, you know, Hubble telescope and everything. Man, I'm sorry. I may just have to bring them and show them before class next time just to show them off. But uh, so the nearest major galaxy to to ours, to, to uh, the Milky Way, is Canis Major Dwarf. I don't know. Uh, I'm looking all this up because I'm not, yeah, I'm not sciencey. So, but Caner Major Dwarf, Canis Major Dwarf is our closest neighbor, and it is 25,000 light years away. <clears throat> 25,000 light years away. So if we could move at the speed of light, and the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. If we could go that fast, we would be to Canis Major Dwarf and 25,000 years. 
Is that in hyperdrive? <laughs> that's in the speed of light. <laughs> that's in, we, we got on the, the Enterprise and we pushed her full speed ahead. And light years. At the speed of light, we would be there in 25,000 years. I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> I just don't think we're going to make it. Uh, the Hubble telescope has provided us the, the farthest view into space. Uh, and I have this nice, cool picture of ex extreme deep field and all, yeah, all these galaxies out there. It's very cool. You, you should go online and look at it. But the farthest galaxy that they have, have recognized there, uh, and of course these are estimations I, I know, but uh, the farthest galaxy in view is 13.2 billion light years away. 13.2 billion light years away. So in other words, if we get in the Enterprise and kick her in light speed ahead, uh, it would take us 13.2 billion years to get to that farthest galaxy. And guess what? We still hadn't made it to heaven. Heaven is far away. So when we take that last breath, we're speeding pretty fast. Oh, yeah. I would say we're speeding pretty fast. <laughs> That's right. God beam us up. So we think about that. Heaven is far away. It's beyond our sight. But heaven is near. Heaven is near. It's only a day's journey, at least a day, you know, no more than a day's journey. For what does Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today. Truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's right. Um, Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 7 verse 56 um, as Stephen was martyred right as he was stoned to death he looked up into heaven and he says behold I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God he was able from the earth to look up and he saw heaven as he was entering into heaven Revelation 21, 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I actually think that was supposed to be on up there and heaven is up part, but uh, uh, there we go. Heaven is it's, it's near. It's far, but it's also near. It's near enough that when we die, we're there. We're there. So... Now, let's theorize a little bit. Let's, this is our imagination, right? Uh, we've, we've seen what Scripture says, but uh, as that song says, we can only imagine. I, I was going to play that night too, Miss Virginia, but uh, the Internet kind of messed that up for me too. But uh, we, we can only imagine. We've got to use our imagination a little bit when it comes to heaven because we've we got what Scripture says, but Scripture talks a lot in, in metaphors and uses these analogies and that sort of thing. So let's... This is imagination, right? So this isn't absolute fact, but hey, hey, 
we can think about it. We, we just kind of contemplate this. And, and this is uh, a theory that has, has come across in, in days. And it, there's some scripture backing behind it. Heaven possibly, heaven, po notice the word possibly, heaven pos possibly is in another dimension. Heaven possibly is in another dimension. Now think about that. The world as we know it exists in four dimensions. Four dimensions, right? Uh, we have in our, in our world of existence length, width, depth, and what's, what's the fourth? No. That, that. Time. That's it. Length, width, depth, and time. That's the four uh, dimensions that we can, we can observe. We, we can recognize those four dimensions. However, in, in the world of theoretical physics, uh, string theory posits the existence of at least ten different dimensions, most of which we cannot perceive. Now, I'm no string theorist or, you know, uh, theoretical physi uh, physicist. Yeah, there we go. I was trying to say physician. No, they don't, they don't operate. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, there's that, at least that idea in the scientific world that there's at least 10 dimensions out there, the, according to string theory. Albert Einstein and all that good stuff, right? So, so there's that idea in science that there, there are multiple dimensions that we can't observe or even perceive. But Scripture also may suggest another dimension. It, it may suggest another dimension, and we see this. Uh, first of all, one, one, one of the big places that we see this is 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. And this is uh, Elisha. I believe it's Elisha. Is it Elisha? Yes, it's Elisha. Elisha, they're there in this city, and, and the city is being surrounded by the Syrian army. They're there to get Elisha. They don't like him because he's telling the uh, Israelites what the Syrians are going to do before they even know what, what they're going to do. And so uh, they don't like him. They're coming to get him. So he is held up in this, this walled city and the Sir Sir Syrians have surrounded this city. And his servant is worried about it. His servant is looking out at all these Syrians surrounded this city and the, oh, we're done for. Oh, Elisha, we're done for. But notice what the text says. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so there we get this, this image, right? Like they're in another dimension. There's all of these heavenly hosts that are surrounding the Syrians. The Syrians are surrounding Elisha, but these heavenly hosts are surrounding the Assyrian or the Syrian army. 
And so they're ready to conquer them. And when Elisha prays, they come down on the Syrians and, and destroy them. But the Syrians don't see them. Elijah's servant didn't see them. The other people in the city, they never saw them. So where were they? Well, could it be that they were in another dimension? A dimension that exists right here around us. We know that, that angels walk among us. They're here with us. They minister to us on behalf of Christ. So could they be just here in our midst, but yet in another dimension? Possibly, right? Acts chapter 7, verse 54, or excuse me, 54 through 56. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Oh, and here's the, the, the part of with Stephen again. Stephen being stoned. And, and when he was stoned, behold, he looked into heaven and, and saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So again, there was Stephen on the ground getting stoned and he looks up and there in heaven is who? It's Jesus and, and God the Father standing beside each other. Come on up, boy. Come on up. We're ready for you, right? And so... How do you say that they were right there? They were in heaven, right? Uh, well, it possibly could be that they were in another dimension. So uh, that's just a, you know, a theory that has been thrown around. Scripture doesn't say there's, there's another dimension, right? So we can't say that's fact because Scripture doesn't tell us that. But it's something to think about. How could heaven be so far away but yet so close that we can get there in a blink of an eye? Uh, it could be that, that heaven is all around us. It's, it's right here above us, just in a, another dimension. So uh, still, we have the th three heavens. We have the immediate atmosphere before, above us. We have space. And then in another dimension, there could be heaven. And uh, one day, those, that dimension is going to come in and take over our dimension and uh, God to create the new heavens and the new earth. So there is the possibility or, or at least one possibility that we can kind of chew on. Uh, fun to think about. 